Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. What I'm telling these people is that it's not so complicated. I think we end up complicating it because what do you mean I can make $20,000 on a piece of paper? Yeah, even though some people make 50000 100k a year, you made that in minutes. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Report. Today, we are here in the studio and we got some sunshine in San Diego, about to head into the 4th of July weekend. And I got a special guest. He is a wholesaler, a flipper, a real estate broker, and an investor. I got my man, Omar Alfaro. Omar, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Appreciate you having me. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, man. I appreciate you taking the drive down here from uh, Orange County this morning. Yeah. And yeah, I'm excited to dig into your, your story, your conversation. But for the listeners... Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do today in the real estate space? Cool. Well, again, guys, what's happening? My name is Omar Alfaro, and I've been in the real estate game for 21 years. Got licensed in 02, uh, and then started representing buyers, sellers, and we buy houses, we flip houses, we hold rentals, we have STRs, and we do some development as well. And, And yeah, and we help others along the way to probably not make the mistakes that I made along the journey. So if we can help you, you know, follow along. I like that. And this man's got a very awesome suit. Thanks, man. Yeah, very, very <laughs> stunning. Very impressed. Um, but anyways, man, so so tell me today, with the interest rate environment that we're in, you know, everything that's going on in the economy right now, how is everything affecting your business right now? Well, well, obviously, from 2020 to 2021, 2022, there's a lot of people that became an overnight success with agents, uh, you know, representing a bunch of buyers and sellers and investors doing their thing and making a bunch of money. And now that it transitioned from a 3% interest rate to six, six and a half, seven, um, it slowed everything down. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It slowed everybody's business completely down. It slowed my regular residential real estate business down as well, but not the flipping because people still need to sell their houses quickly and for cash. Um, But on the resale side, the whole Burr strategy that everybody talks about, you know, you fix up your property and then you turn around and you, you rent it and you refinance it. It's hard to refinance the property and cash flow when there's a 7% interest rate associated to it. So a lot of investors probably kept um, properties that, uh, you know, that weren't making any more money because that interest rate just kills uh, that cash flow. And that's what we're doing it for, right? We're buying these properties for cash flow. And that birth strategy um, is, you know, it's been around for for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of the newer investors, you know, coming up, listen to bigger pockets, really buy into that strategy. And you're right. That's a good point. When you go to refi into the perm debt, yeah, we can add a lot of value. But when you go to refi into perm debt and it's no longer 4%, mm-hmm. it's no longer 3%, but you're looking at 7 maybe 7.5, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for these deals to pencil, a lot harder for these deals to cash flow. I always tell people like, Hey, if you're going to get some debt right now, make sure that you don't have a hefty, a hefty prepayment penalty. For sure. So when the rates go back down, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's two years from now. But when they do go back down, you want to be able to, you know, refi into some cheaper debt. How are you pivoting today within your business because of the the environment that we're in? 
Um, well, it, it's a uh, on the real estate brokerage side. You know, we have a lot of agents that work for us or work with us on our team. You know, the buyers that are there right now that are qualified for six and a half, seven percent are true buyers. They want to live in the property. That's a different, you know, avenue versus us as investors buying these properties to try to cash flow. But the transition that we're making now is we got to buy deeper. Mm-hmm. We got to buy properties deeper. So then when we do refinance out and pull out some of our money or potentially leave twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in some of these assets and get your chunk of it back. When you say buy properties deeper, what does that mean? That means you're going to buy them deeper, meaning if the property's worth $400,000 ARV, after repaired value, you want to be able to come in and pick them up at 200, 250,000. You know, you want to get a good spread. So then when you do fix up the property and you're going to bird out, that means refinance majority of your money out, you get majority of your cash out of the property. So if you buy deeper, then you have more uh, margin for error. Prior to the rates going up, what percentage of ARV did you want to be all in at versus today? Oh, geez. Before the rate went up, this this is a crazy question because we'd be at 65% ARV, right? Mm -hmm. That's a solid number. But that 65% ARV in 2021 and 20, yeah, 2020 and 2021, it ended up being a 50% ARV because the market appreciated, Mm -hmm. right? So this is why everybody made all kinds of money. So we stayed to our 65%, sometimes even 70. And in that market before, we were at 75% because by the time we sold it, it was, you know, it appreciated another 20 or 30 grand. But right now, right now I want to be at 50. Yeah, that's a very fair point. And so today, you know, we are in a softening environment. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, well, you know, the market is going to continue to soften before it improves. And so in order for me to do a deal right now, I need two things. One, I need to be able to buy at a discount. Mm-hmm. And number two is I need to be able to add significant value um, because when the market continues to soften, it's going to give me a cushion and a margin for airsh when the market continues to soften. So, you know, buying the turnkey stuff, you know, it, it worked back in 2015, 2017. Uh, you could do it in 2019 um, and let time do its thing. Put some furniture there and in there and Airbnb it. But right now you need to be able to add tremendous value. And I love the point that you brought up, you know, back in 2020, 21, you could be at 65% all in and it turns out to be 50% by the time you're done with the project because of the appreciation. But now 65% going in might be 75% right out because the market is softening. Yep. hundred percent. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you, you want to make sure that money works for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're going in and in our market, our median home price, so you guys are following along. I'm not San Diego. We're we have the same zip code, you know, or area code, right? 760 up in the high desert, but our median home price is $400,000. That's our median. Mm. So our cost of entry is relatively low compared to San Diego, Orange County, LA, like the bigger metropolitan areas, but you can still find great deals there. And that being said, with, you know, you're investing into some assets, you know, you want to be able to like remove some of that cash from, from those assets because how many times have you heard, Rich, that we're property rich but cash poor? All the time. All the time. Why? Because we buy all these assets and we don't, we're not going to be able to take all of our money out because either they haven't appreciated or we haven't fixed the property up or we haven't put, you know, our units, you know, we haven't put tenants in our units to 
occupy the properties. I will say if you are going to be broke or cash poor, that's the best way to do it. 100%. Because if you're, all your money is tied up in these real estate projects, but you have no liquidity, you're essentially broke. Uh-huh. But at least you got the net worth, you got you got things working for you. So if you are going to be broke, I think that's the best way to do it. <laughs> but, 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 but sometimes that, that net worth doesn't mean anything unless you capture it. Capture it, exactly. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, so f- for someone, you know, w- wants to get into flipping right now in this climate, they want to go do their first house flip. Well, what are the first few things they should look at? Well, that's a it's, a it's a good question, Rich, because as a flipper and I started flipping houses in 2009. So the market crashed in 07 and 08. And in 2009, I represented a, an investor who was buying property and he turned around and put lipstick on a pig, that terminology. And then you know, I would see him making some good profits and I was making a small commission. But what I understood was that I, I picked his brain. I understood what he was doing. I saw that he was making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 on these flips that were just barely painted, mm-hmm. but they made, he made them look nice. That's it. So understand one thing. The first thing is, is find someone who's doing exactly what you want to do and then ask him a question. But for everybody that's listening, the first step is, is you got to have, you have to know what your exit's going to be before you buy this property. If you buy the property, you already know that you're going to be flipping it. Okay, cool. But if you're going to flip it, do you already have a crew? Do you, do you already have your hard money lined up? Do you have enough reserves to make the payments every single month? You know, and then check this out. And do you have regular earned income to offset that holding cost? Because if you don't, you're going to be able to do one flip, maybe two flips a year max, plus your ordinary income that you do receive. Right. So I would say step one is find your market. Where are you going to be wanting to flip at? Am I going to come to San Diego to flip property? I don't know San Diego as well as you do. Mm-hmm. But in my area, I know it, right? Because I've done the work. I studied the market and I know that if I pick up something at $200,000, I could turn around and sell it for three hundred and seventy-five mm-hmm. with a fifty thousand dollar rehab, and then I'm sitting at sixty, seventy k in profit. But most people don't know that they just want to get in. I don't, I want to buy a house just to flip. Okay, but what does that mean? Right. You know. So step one, know the market. Step two, figure out your financing. Step three, make sure you have your crew set up, like you vetted a construction crew. But guess what? Before all that happens, you have to learn how to like potentially go on an appointment to find a off-market deal or on the MLS if you choose to. But yeah, I know that was a lot. That's really good. And and you mentioned, you know, you should be all in right now closer to 50, 55% of whatever the ARV is. How does someone go and find a deal at a significant discount to be all in at 50, 55% if they're just getting started right now? The number one thing is you got to provide the most solutions for that seller because everybody is going through something. Rich, you're going through something. I'm going through something in our own perspective lives, right? If we're going to liquidate something and, you know, it's a hindrance, well, guess what? There's other people that are going through the same thing. You just got to be able to get in front of it. As a perfect example, last night, my boys called me. We got 52% under ARV. Wow. Two properties in our area. That's before rehab or that's including the rehab? That's before rehab. Okay. So we're sitting at probably a quarter per property before rehab. So 
Does that happen all the time? No. But enough times in front of a seller or enough times understanding your game, you're probably going to be able to get that type of you know conversation going. Because if you focus on the person, on what they're going through, they're going to give you all of the ammo. Because if I ask you, Rich, hey, what exactly can I do to help you, to get you to point, to start your next chapter? You're going to tell me everything. At least I would hope so, right? Because mm-hmm. we've developed some rapport and everything else. But to get those 50% deals, it's, it's challenging. You can get 60, 65, maybe 70. But I think over time, you're going to be able to understand that, that seller. And it's just providing the most solutions, man. Yeah. That's it. What's the best way for you to get in front of sellers? How, like, how do you source these off-market deals and get in front of these sellers? Well, we have a full-on system. You know, I've developed a good database in my career of selling a whole bunch of houses. But what most people don't do is that they don't take care of their database. People that have already bought from me, sold from me. So what ends up happening is that I keep on touching them. Primarily, a lot of our off-market deals were coming from my database saying, oh yeah, Omar Omar will buy your house. Go to Omar, he'll figure it out. He'll just Mm -hmm. buy it from you. And that right now has been the number one way that we've been getting our deals. In addition to cold calling, right? We have some VAs that are cold calling. Uh, We got texters. That means we're shooting text out to people. Don't recommend texting um, just because of all the the rules and stuff, the do not call list and stuff like that. You don't want to get sued. And if you're not understanding the game, then don't want to go into something like that where you might actually get a lawsuit Mm -hmm. handed to you. Because even those like uh, third party text um, threads that that's, it gives you the, the message. And then at the bottom, it says like text stop to unsubscribe. Yeah. That could even be like a lawsuit you're saying. Yeah. Really? And what's crazy because if you I keep get those on, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And then we could do something. I mean, we've heard stories. Uh, not I probably, wood, I probably got five this morning just since just since I've been up. It's cra- and, and you know what that is? That's just someone out there reaching out to your cell phone to see if you want to buy or sell. Or to sell your assets that mm-hmm. you own. And then the voicemails I get from unknown numbers, that's probably at least 10, 15 a day of just people just trying to get mortgages. They're trying yeah. to get whatever. Yeah. And if you put your, net, your number on the do not call list, well, you can sue them. Mm. But not, not that we would, but other people have nothing else to do except try to figure out how to make money without working. And so cold calling, texting, some ads that we run you know, that will buy your house for cash. Because honestly, people go through situations and they just need to um, to exit. Inheritance, divorces, you know, that's how that's how we're sourcing. That's how we're getting some of our off-market deals as well. But number one way is working your, your list, working your CRM, your network. Yeah, man, because up. people want to do business with they like, know, and trust, mm-hmm. okay? You've heard that so many times. And if you've done well by your you know, you by your peers and by other people that you've helped along the way, well, they're likely going to be able to give you, um, hey, guess what? I got this one person. I got this one person. Half of my portfolio came from people in my database that said, Omar, I got this one deal. Do you want it? Yeah, I'm going to keep it as a rental. All right, cool. One of my guys that works for me, he was renting a house. No, no, no bullshit. Renting a house. He told me, hey, man, my seller wants to, uh, or the landlord wants to sell the house. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, bro, why don't you buy it? this is my, one of my crews. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, man, I just can't do it right now. I was like, all right, yeah, I'll buy it. Bought it for a buck 80. Nice three, two. 
I section date it. It makes $2,500 a month. My payment is $1,200. I 1031 exchange one of the other properties to buy it. And now it's cash flowing from my database, from my people that I like help on a consistent basis. Second is focusing on the five-star reviews. In our area, I mean, I know my market. And we got the most five-star reviews on all the platforms over everybody that's in our area, period, which is pretty cool. So that goes to show that we actually do deals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when you say the five-star reviews, are you talking Google reviews? Google reviews and Zillow. And Zillow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think right now with with the rate environment, you got to get creative. Um, and a lot 100%. of people are pivoting within their businesses. Are you doing more wholesaling right now versus the flipping because of kind of everything? You know, with wholesaling, it's very, very low capital. Because when, when, when you're flipping, you know, we have seven or eight projects going. We're $40,000 each project plus the down payment, right? It's not all cash because we're using hard money. Wholesaling seems to be a lot simpler where I just sell the contract to you. Here you go, Rich. I got a good deal. Like these deals that we just locked up. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the math and it's like, all right, do we wait four months till I fix them all up, put them back on the market and then potentially make 300K in profit? Or do I just get rid of the contract now and make 200K with nothing out of pocket and no time and I can use that 200, deploy it, do some more stuff. So wholesaling, I think, might be the game changer yeah. for me. And I've been a flipper for so long that it's like, oh, no, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to, because I guarantee you, you can talk to flippers and you can talk to wholesalers. Wholesalers don't have a flipping, um, what do you call it, company. They mm -hmm. don't have crews. They don't have people to go and rehab stuff. Probably on purpose, because it's easier just to sell a piece of paper to someone for 30 or 40K than it is to go through the process of the crew the holding costs, all that other stuff. And then maybe you get a fifty, sixty thousand dollar profit at the end. Is a better return on your time. Wholesaling for sure is a better return for your time. What's what's the typical um assignment fee that you're seeing out there? Twenty five, thirty five K? I would not say bad. on the average. Yeah. I would take that all day versus making sixty on a flip. Okay. Now, if you're making sixty on a flip and you have your crew, you have it all set up, sixty K versus thirty. I, you know what? I'll probably take the 30 as well. Mm -hmm. But because I've been the flipper, I'll do the 60 and I'll just add another wholesale deal to go make 30. So now I'm making 90 instead of just the 60 or the, the 30 if I just uh, wholesaled it. So it depends because you're asking the wrong guy mm. because we've, I've created my success with flipping, you know, and use that profit to go buy more doors. Hey guys, real quick, I hope that you're finding value in this show. If you could do me a huge favor and drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on, it would mean the world to me. Also, if you know of anyone that would potentially benefit from this podcast, feel free to share it with them so we can help more people build wealth through real estate investing. Now back to the show. How do you determine, because you're an investor and mm -hmm. you have uh, long-term holds as well, how do you determine which deals you're going to hold on to and which ones you're going to flip? I guess it's just going to be based on on the location, the deal, the cash flow, um, how much equity there is. There's been some deals that I probably should have sold, but I kept. And then those end up being like the best freaking returns ever. You know, and then there's some other ones that are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hold this one. And then I ended up flipping it. And it's like that was way better. Mm. You know, so it just depends. But I will I will tell everyone that's listening that 
if don't get so quick to buy a property just to say you own a door. Okay. Don't go out there to try to buy a house for you to keep as a rental when you don't have enough cash flow coming in or you don't have enough earned income coming in because you're not going to get rich off of one, two, three doors. You're not. I'm sorry. Three, four hundred dollars a month in positive cash flow doesn't change your life. It doesn't. But if you sold that asset and you make 80, 100, that gonna, that's going to change some things. And, you know, that's just a rule of thumb. And I wish I probably would have known this earlier in my career. I would have been able to flip a lot more, probably increase my earned income. But I didn't have social media wasn't out, man. Mm. <laughs> when we were flipping houses. I mean, it was in 09, 08. Barely started hitting the, uh, you know, that trend. So that's one thing that I would share with everyone. Yeah. Don't just get so quick to buy that door, flip the property, flip the paper, increase that earned capital, and then go and deploy it when you know that you have a little more of a nest egg, my mm -hmm. opinion. It's all about the uh, the velocity of money, especially as you're younger and you got more years ahead of you. Yes. What do you currently own today in the space? We got 62 doors uh, that are producing income, uh, which is pretty cool. It's been a fucking journey to say the least, man. But they stem from SFR, single family residences, uh, some short-term rentals that we're going to talk about here in a few, some commercial buildings and units, triplexes, duplexes, fourplexes, a 12-unit complex, which is pretty cool that I just bought this year. Nice. Um, so yeah. All in uh, which which part of Southern California? Uh, they're stemming from Orange County to San Bernardino County to... Arizona as well. I have a few properties in Lake Havasu. Okay. Yeah. And you said commercial. What asset class within the commercial space? Just office buildings. Okay. Yeah. You know, I bought a, I bought a pool supply place next to our, our family restaurant. And uh, quick story, it was uh, in 09, the person who foreclosed on it, or somebody foreclosed on it, I found out the person that was buying it or that actually won the bid at the auction. It went to auction. He bought it for 60K. I went to his office with $30,000 in cash. And I said, I'll just take it from you. Just deed me over the deed right now. And he did. He made, I gave him 30 racks. And I bought that building for 90,000 bucks in 09 just to own the asset next door to our parents' restaurant so I control that whole space. And, and who goes in there? Um, and the same person that was there is still there. He pays me 1,500 bucks a month in rent. He owns a pool, uh, pool equipment, you know, pool cleaning supply place. And uh, he does all of my pools too. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. That's pretty cool. What kind of um, restaurant is the uh, the family restaurant? It's called Las Brisas in Apple Valley. It is a uh, family-owned Mexican restaurant. It's so dope. It's awesome. If you're over, ever up there, you'll, you'll be More my guest. More taco shop style or like dine-in No, style? like a nice-ass restaurant. Higher end. Yeah, we really? have steaks. We have prime rib Wednesdays, salmon on Fridays. Mm. You know, and I've been in this, in the hospitality business for a long time, since I was literally 12. Um, my parents opened it when uh, my dad was 50 years old, God rest his soul. And he, yeah, he opened it up with my mom and we've been a busser, uh, waiter, cook, dishwasher, bartender, anything you name. Yeah. You know, I always say like those sales positions like early on, because, you know, if you're if you're serving tables or you're a bartender, that's that's sales. Your sales. For and sure. that translates into entrepreneurship and real estate investing. 
you know, everything we do in this space is a form of sales. You know, talking to brokers, mm-hmm. sourcing deals, talking to sellers, talking to lenders, um, getting your face in front of investors. Like everything we do in this space is all sales. And so, you know, I did a lot of retail jobs back in college. I, I sold cell phones at the mall. Beautiful. And I sold cars, yeah. right? And I always thought, man, I really want to sell commercial real estate. But all that to say is like all those sales skills that I learned doing retail when I was young, when I was 19, 20, translate to everything that I'm doing today. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about enough. Yeah, because you know what? When you're sitting there, you know, serving tables, you're bringing their food out, you're bringing their margaritas out, like you are the show. Yeah. And that's something that we would call, like whenever I ran the teams, because after the restaurant, I mean, I think I was 18, 19, 20. Yeah, 20 years old, I left uh, my Black Angus career, which is a restaurant that I was a server at, went to the MGM and I was a bartender at 21 years old in Vegas. And then when I came back, I was still working at my parents' restaurant. You know, I didn't have a license yet. And I took the understanding of like, well, all these people know me and this is where I'm going to start becoming a better real estate guy. I was sitting at a bar at my parents' place and some guy walks in and said, hey, you ever thought about selling real estate? I was 23 years old. I was like, no, what do you got to do? Just sell a house and make commission. All right, cool. Um, sign me up. Let's go. Because at that point, you just want to make money, right? But then later on, the relationship starts forming. Every single table I would talk to, after I'd serve them, I'd give them my business card and I'd say, hey, if you, if you guys ever know anybody that wants to buy or sell real estate, let me know. And they already knew me, right? Because they saw me growing up. Mm-hmm. I was 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, sitting there on Friday nights, busing tables, taking chips and salsa. So I was developing that relationship skill. And uh, a lot of the database came from the restaurant, people that knew me and they sold and they, I bought properties from them that they didn't want anymore just from the relationship. So it worked out. I love that. And it's, it's also all those reps that you get, you know, just, man, you know, (laughs) the reps of, Hey, how's your day going? You know, um, learning a little bit about someone, you know, and, and it could, a lot of it's just small talk, but yeah. all those reps when you're young translates to everything that, you know, we do in the entrepreneurship space, real estate investing space today, which a lot of people just don't talk about enough, in my opinion. Uh, so you, you mentioned you got some Airbnbs. Tell me a little bit about those, how many you have and in which markets? We got, let me see, one, two, we got five, we got seven. Okay. Seven um, STRs. And I'll tell you the story in 2020, um, I bought four of them in Havasu. And then, and that was a hot market a few years ago, right? Man, when I bought that first house in Havasu, mind you, I'd never been there. Somebody called from a sign here in in, in Victorville, and they said, "Hey, we want this house, but we, my grandma lives in one of the houses uh, she has in Arizona, and we want to do a trade." And I'm like, "All right, well, let me run the numbers." So I ended up buying that first house for 200k in Havasu, not in 2020. This was in 2016 or 17. Pennies, man. And a great view of the lake and everything else. So that was my first property that I bought. And I owned it for a year and a half, two years before I said, you know what? What's this Airbnb thing? And I remember November of 2019, it was booked, literally. So I'm like, this is cool. I think we're on to something. And of course, by February, I bought another one, bought another one, I bought another one. Then I bought a primary house out there because I want a nice place out there. So that first 2020 and 2021 skyrocketed our cash flow. We were making bank, you know? Everyone's going out there for the pandemic. 
everybody, and I, we didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. This was, we were closing on a property in March of 2020. We closed March 2nd or 3rd. And I remember going out there for my birthday, which is St. Patrick's Day. And we were out like garage selling the stuff that, that, that was left there and getting it organized. And then we finally finished it. And then what happens? Everything got locked down in 2020 in March, March, that middle March, March 15, 16th, 17th or something. And then we, it just went through the roof, man. Everybody was wanting to get out of Dodge, especially California. Mm -hmm. California was all going to Havasu, all going to Arizona, all going to other places. And uh, because why? You didn't have to wear masks. Yeah. It was a little different. It was cool. And uh, had some good success there. And obviously, at the same time, we bought a couple other properties in Big Bear, which we still own. By the way, they're not doing very well. Be honest, you know? So... Why do you think, you know, Big Bear and, and Havasu, why do you think that is? Would you say that they're oversaturated? Is that the issue? Or would you say there's a, a slowdown in terms of demand for bookings out there? I would say it's both. Okay, saturation in 2020, everyone caught on. End of 2020, everybody caught on. 2021, prices went through the roof. Um, everybody wanted an Airbnb, everything. And there was, there was a, such a high demand with no supply. Zero. So I was facing it. I was like, you know what? Something's going to happen here. And then when I did the numbers, 2022, that first quarter, the second quarter, like six months in, I was telling my lady, I was like, you know what? We're going to stop all Airbnb right now because we saw the downtrend. And I looked at long-term rentals. There was nothing available, nothing. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just switch it right now. So we ended up switching from Airbnb because of the saturation. Because we were dropping our prices per night from three, four hundred dollars a night to two fifty, and these are beautiful houses, man, with pool, spas, RV garages, the whole nine, and we weren't getting booked. And it's like, what's going on? So a little bit of lack of demand, and then so much availability, mm -hmm. and I think that's had something to do with it. And this is where I switched my whole focus to let me be the first to market on long term, and let me ask a pretty penny for it all. And immediately, those three, the three properties, because we sold one, the three properties that um, were airbnb I made them all into long-term and immediately, 6K a month in positive cash flow overnight with no headaches, no nothing. It's not much, guys, but six grand a month is a, is a lot without doing that's anything. That's a lot for a long-term. Yeah. Combined. Combined. Yeah, the yeah, three. That's, yeah. Still, that's still great. Yeah. With, you know, long-term is not going to have the volatility. Um, a little bit less risk mm -hmm. and less workload, if you would. Oh, and that's what and I wanted to remove. Yeah. Because we were self-managing um, most of that stuff, Rich. You know, I had the app and booking and this, that, and the other. And then my cleaning lady would get the uh, the notifications and such. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but for the most part, I was like, it was easy. I mean, that's 6K a month that we make now. We were doing, shit, we like quarter million bucks, man, with with all three of them at that time. In 2021, it was insane. There's a lot of talk right now with the uh, the Airbnb revenue collapse. It's all over the news. Right. Um, so I saw your video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did a little video on it. So I, I, I did a little dive into it, and I noticed a lot of these major markets. The um, and just for the context, you know, basically this article said, "Hey, here are 15 markets that um, you know are." getting crushed by in terms of Airbnb revenue mm -hmm. per available listing. And it was like anywhere from 35 to even up to 50, almost 50% in a lot of markets, Phoenix, Austin, 
uh, to name a few. And looking into them, the actual market revenue has gone up year over year. However, there's more listings. Why is that? Not a ton more listings, though. A lot of these markets I saw, like maybe a tick up of 10, 10% listings right. oh, year over year. Phoenix was more. But um, I think there's, why do you think that is? The yeah. tick up? I think because there's, with, with Airbnb, there's not a huge barrier to entry. And so, I mean, you don't even have to buy a property. You no, can go, the arbitrage. You can go, you yeah. go arbitrage a, a property and, and list it. So I think that's definitely, um, you know, causing it. There's, there's not much of a barrier to entry. Um, so it'd be interesting to kind of see what this does. I think the 20 to 30% bottom hosts are going to start to fall out, which I think is, is good for supply. Yeah, because if that 20 or 30% fall, you know, it's going to leave the people that actually have done it for a while mm-hmm. and they have a good product to put out there. Those areas are going to get booked up. And I see them. And it's like, I don't see how some of these people that have these Airbnbs are booked. It's like, okay, how are you guys booking them all? I mean, are they in just a normal market like San Diego? Like where people, I mean, there's a demand here for people to come visit, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also a ton of hotels. Yeah. But people want the space. And, and I, I wouldn't know. I mean, that's where you come in because I don't, I don't know that market here. But I know in Havasu, everybody, I think, got over it. And um, they still want to take their families out to go on the lake and the boats and stuff like that. And they needed a place to go. But I mean, I think the saturation of it, I mean, in, in my market and what I've faced with, but kudos to everybody that's still making, making it work because I hear it I yeah. mean, and you know, the, the numbers. Yeah. And, and ADRs in a lot of these, um, markets for hotels are actually going up, um, and pretty healthy, but, um, you know, I, I'd love to do a deeper dive into some of these other markets and, and kind of see, you know, we're, we're in nine markets right now on our management side to where we either, um, you know, operate our own stuff or we operate for third party owners. And I will say San Diego is hands down the best market that we're in. We don't have to push and pull on these listings. They just stay full year round. That's awesome. Because of the relatively low supply, but also because of the great year round uh, weather and tourism here. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I want to stay down here. Come down more, man. Yeah, I, I need to. I think you're, uh, uh, Alex, uh, your assistant, mm. she asked me, she's like, you got a place down here? It's like, no, not yet. But <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, Keyword. not yet. I'll end up getting you something. Can, you can change that real quick. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we can try for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you um, you know, all, all the stuff you're doing, you know, you're wholesaling, you're flipping, mm-hmm. uh, you're a broker, and you're doing Airbnbs. Like, out of all the stuff out there, is there, I tell people, there's a hundred ways to make money in real estate, and there's no right or wrong. I always say, pick one thing, maybe two, and then go all in on those one or two. For someone out there in this climate that wants to pick one thing right now, what would it be and why? Okay, so that's a that's a loaded question because if you want to go into the game of being a real estate, you know, professional and get a license, right? Yeah, let's go down this the two ways. If you want to get a real estate license and you want to learn the game of real estate, wherever you're at, get your license, find the busiest broker, realtor out there and provide value to that person. They all have extra leads for you to call. And that is one way to get your foot in the door. Uh, focus on your on your skills, obviously talking to people. Um, scripts and dialogue training as well, because I'm sure they're going to be able to give you that as well. Like people come to me, hey, what can we do? What can we help you with? It's like, come to the office, meet me at the 50 yard line. I'll give you scripts and dialogues for you to take and to memorize and then call some leads, create something provide value, right, for that person. Remember, you're starting out. 
Right. So if you're in that game of, you know, understanding the real estate space, do that. Get to the busiest person with the most reviews that's that sells the most houses, because I guarantee you they have leads for you to call and most people don't want to put in the work. So that would be the avenue if you want to get into that real estate, um, you know, sales space. If you want to be a wholesaler, because this is the cost of entry for wholesaling is simple. Get on the phones, get in front of some sellers, lock up some contracts. That means you're getting a signature from a seller that wants to sell a $200,000 house that uh, is worth 300, sell the piece of paper to somebody for 20 grand. You just made $20,000. You know, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm telling these people is that it's not so complicated. I think we end up complicating it because what do you mean I can make $20,000 on a piece of paper? Yeah, even though some people make 50000 100K a year, you made that in minutes, in an hour. So I would say that's one avenue. The other avenue obviously is gonna be the wholesale side of it. But find someone like me that flips property. Bring me something that is there that has a spread. You make your money. I don't care if you made $100,000. You bring me a deal that's worth three fifty. And you got it locked up for a hundred, and you sell it to me for two hundred. I'm still buying it. Kudos to you for getting it for a hundred thousand bucks. You just made a hundred thousand dollars, and you sold it to a guy like me that's going to go make fifty or sixty k. I'm happy with it. So the thing is, there's so much information out there, Rich, that I think all of us get overloaded. Mm -hmm. I think the normal person that's about to start the game, which avenue should I go? You know, there's this shiny object, that shiny object. How about stick to one thing, like you said, get really good at it, find out what else you can do to bring value to that individual. Like if I'm someone like meeting you, I'm like, what do you need, Rich? You need people to call? You need you need more assets to go put under management? What do you need? Like, I want to learn this, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But that's something that most people aren't willing to put that extra work in. So. Don't be that guy or that girl. Go out there and find that busiest person and ask to help them. Provide the value first, and then they're going to give you all the direction after that. Learning to become a successful real estate investor can take a lot of time and dedication, which some people just don't have. If you're one of these individuals, this doesn't mean you can't invest in real estate. My company, Summers Capital, is buying a bunch of boutique hotels right now, and you can invest with us in these deals without having to do any of the work. Our team sources the deals, we secure the lending, we take care of all the renovations, and we even handle all the day-to-day -day operations with our in-house management company, making it truly hands-off and passive for our investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to Summers summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think that's a that's an easy tip that anyone could implement right away. Right, right now. When you yeah. go and meet people, you connect with people, I always ask them before I end that conversation, Omar, what can I do to provide value to you and your business? Mm -hmm. If there's anything I can do, don't hesitate to reach out. And I think just that simple one question it tells the other person like, hey, this guy's here to provide value. Oh, yeah. And they're going to remember that because most people don't do that when they conversate. No, they don't, man. And unfortunately, it sucks because it's it's the easiest thing to do. It's so what do we talk about? Relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what can I help you with? And this is the, the, the sales part of it. I mean, maybe this is because I was a server and a bartender. Like, how can I make your day better? Yeah, pour me a drink. Perfect. Here you go. I just made your day better. But what else can I help you with? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we're always selling something, right? I mean, whether it's selling 
someone to feel better for that short period of time as a bartender, at least they're enjoying the time that they're out in a, at a bar or feeding them. And in this case, we're either buying their house now or we're listing it or we're helping a buyer buy and, you know, obtain home ownership mm-hmm. or find investors that'll fund some of our projects, which we do all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's private money, man. My money's working on other stuff. Their money's working on the, um, on the projects that we're flipping. So in essence, we're making, you know, free money. Yeah, man. I, I, I think it's a real thing that a lot of people getting into real estate struggle with mm-hmm. is the, um, and I call it the shiny object syndrome. Where oh, dude. It's like, you know, you go on social media or you go on YouTube and everyone's got a hundred different ways to make money in real estate, right? And they're pushing their way. And so I, I know, I talk to people all the time. They're like, dude, I'm stuck. I don't even know where to get started. And they'll try one thing. And then before they even have an opportunity to, to get experience in that one thing, they move on to the next one and they uh-huh. do it for a few months and then they move on to the next one. So they actually never gain any traction. And so I don't know, I, I can resonate with that. But for me, when I got started, I was like, man, I, I really want to do multifamily. That was my thing. And now I still own multifamily. I'm just not currently buying it. I love that asset class, but I pivoted because of the economy. Right. But that gave me the fundamentals to do what I'm doing now. A lot of what I do in the boutique hotel stuff right now is very similar to multifamily. And I do want to continue to buy multifamily when the market shifts. But right now I'm just not, you know. Um, But I think the key there was I picked one thing. I got started. I went and got my feet wet. I started doing deals. And then when the market shifted, then I pivoted. Right. Right. And so I think maybe for the folks out there, what would you say to them? Maybe, you know, just pick that one thing and go get your feet wet and then and then make that decision if it's the right thing or not. Or what, what would you say? You know, contradictory, you know, to what everybody says, hey, stay to stay that one course, pick that one thing, get your feet wet. Actually, don't just ju- just jump in. Right. Yeah. And this way, the shock's already gone. You guys all been there. You guys are all walking in that pool and it's cold. And if you walk in, it's a little colder. But if you just jump in, the shock is there and it's gone. And oh, that wasn't that bad. Same same thing. And in this case, it's like if you're going to be in the real estate game, jump in. Like with all, like your whole body. If you want to get into multifamily, figure out. I wouldn't say jump into multifamily immediately until you at least understand real estate, mm-hmm. to be honest. Educate so yourself Educate first. yourself yep. 100%. Boutique hotels, I have no idea on that. I'm not jumping into that. Do I have the education of how to do it? Yes. But I don't know it well enough to jump all in. Mm-hmm. I would have to like team up with someone like you to figure this part out. Again, I'm not the smartest guy. I just try to connect with the smartest dudes in the space. Does that make sense? And I think that's what you guys should do too. Yeah. And yeah. Grant Cardone says, what's the, what's the best way to become a real estate investor? Become a real estate investor. That's it. That's it. Sometimes you don't need to overthink it. You just no. got to take action. That's that's such a good point too, because <laughs> the best way to become a real estate investor be the real estate investor. I mean, that's it. Immediately, mm-hmm. I'm asking for money. I'm asking this. I'm I'm buying a property. I'm actually putting a uh, the 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 signature on a contract that I'm buying. You're the real estate investor now. You now you're selling a piece of paper versus not an, a huge asset, but you're selling the assets asset rights. Mm-hmm. to someone else to make money. I mean, it's it's easy. One thing I see a lot of people do is it, when they get started, and I used to I used to kind of do this too, is they'll go to 
their entire circle for advice on this next real estate thing, right. or this next business idea they have. That's funny. And they'll go ask their family, their friends, their coworkers, and they get everyone's advice. And often we call them the dream killers. The dream killers are going to talk them out of taking action. They're going to outline all the risks. And so one of my biggest takeaways, and I wish I would have known this when I started, is like, you know, don't go to everyone for advice. Pick one or two people that are experienced real estate investors or entrepreneurs that you resonate with and you can relate to and go to them for advice. Yep. Someone that's already done what you're trying to do. 100%. Because (laughs) why are you going to ask, like literally, I'm not going to ask a fat guy how to get a six pack. Mm. I don't think anybody will Mm -hmm. because there's no proof. So why would you ask your family if this is the right thing to do if they have not themselves invested in real estate or made a killing doing this, this, and this in one avenue. Like I would ask my pops and my mom, which I did, what made you so successful in the in, in the restaurant space, pops? He did it, you know? Mm-hmm. He was successful in his own right. He raised all of us. So it's like, I'm asking that question because he's done it. Just like you said, you're not gonna ask your mom, you're not gonna ask your aunt and uncle, or you're not gonna get influenced by other people that haven't even done what you're wanting to do. It's stupid. You're not Mm -hmm. gonna, I mean, I'm telling you, I can go on and on about the whole education aspect of it, but it's like success leaves clues, Mm -hmm. period. So the successful people will leave clues for you to become successful, providing you're humble enough to know that you don't know it all and, and implement it. Because that's the other thing, Rich, with social media, with this, with that, how much of it is fake, honestly? There's a lot of fake shit out there. And who are you going to believe? Like the person who has it? Because I'll tell you one thing, and I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people. Having units and doors isn't fucking sexy. But driving a Lambo Urus, driving a badass Rolls on social is sexy as hell, right? Mm-hmm. But ask them how many doors they own. It's not sexy, man. But to me... I think sexy is having all the doors because that's true wealth versus something that depreciates. But if you use the tools, you know, for those cars to, you know, implement new courses or whatever the case, you know, then it works hand in hand. But for the most part, it's, you know, mirror the people that you want to be successful, like mirror the people that that you want to like do that same thing. Because if you want to be a flipper, ask the flipper. If you want to be a wholesaler, ask the badass wholesaler. Mm-hmm. And Go the pl- learn from the best. Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to get into this game. And this is something that I've done over and over again, being 20 years in the business. Sure, there's a lot of other people that are more successful and everything else, but their environment changed. So they were open to other opportunities. And that's where it, that's where it comes in, you know, being part of a podcast and I appreciate you having me and surrounding yourself with other people that are doing more than you will level you up, providing mm. you're humble enough to implement the stuff that you're hearing. Because that's a huge thing. Because you didn't make it, guys, because what you make in a year, people make that in a month. Mm. And what, you, what they make in a month, the other people make in a day. So if you keep on pushing that needle forward, you know, like you're going to get pushed to that next level. You're not here because, you know, you were complacent. Not at all. Mm-hmm. You kept pushing the envelope and you probably mirrored yourself or you probably asked advice from other people that are doing the game a little bit higher than you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just normal. And there's, and there's always 
another level. <laughs> you know, it's like you just said, hey, there's people that are making what you make in a month in one day. And then you get to that point and then there's a whole nother level to that oh, as my well. Gosh. Yeah, bro. Which is yeah. the beauty of life and, and entrepreneurship is mm -hmm. there's always levels and there's always um, opportunity for for growth and improvement. And I think one thing that I've learned through the years is especially in my real estate investing journey and entrepreneurship is for me, happiness stems from growth and progress. Always. And so I'm addicted to that feeling of growing and progressing and just getting a little bit better every week, you know? Yeah, because that growth and progress, well, the growth first of which, right? But that progress is what you see five, six months from now. You don't see it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You don't see it in a month. Maybe. It's like working out. You don't see it immediately. You see it four months from now. You're like, oh, damn, I did lose some weight. Mm -hmm. Oh, dang, I can start seeing my six-pack. Oh, damn. It's the same way if you have a donut every single day. You're not going to see the effects of a donut every day in a week, in two weeks. But you will see it in 45 to 60 days. You're like, damn, these jeans are a little bit uh, tighter. Mm -hmm. The shirt fits a little snugger, you know? So that aspect of it, too, it's like, you know, understanding that that growth and progress is something that you can gauge. I love that. Yeah, for sure, man. This well, is cool. my man, I appreciate you coming on and dropping some wisdom and knowledge. Um, I'm definitely very inspired just, you know, sitting here and conversating with you, man. I'm a big fan of everything you're doing and um, I'm excited to to follow along your journey and uh, stay connected with you, my man. I appreciate yeah, you coming on. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it too. Before we wrap up, real quick, yeah, I do got a shout out. To, you know, I can't do any of this stuff that I do, all the doors and everything that we have, you know, without my uh, my beautiful lady, my three daughters. I didn't mention them earlier, but I got a 16-year-old, uh, a three-year-old, and a 10-month-old, which is crazy. So I started over and, um, you know, just appreciate her uh, because without a good backing, it's yeah. especially in our entrepreneur-like mind mm -hmm. where we're always going, you know, like go out there. And if you guys are listening, go out there and like literally thank the person that you're next to, your support system your wife, your partner, whatever the case is, give them that kudos they deserve because you probably wouldn't be in the position you're in if it wasn't for someone pushing you or at least supporting everything that you got going on, man. So I love that you said that, man. It's such an important aspect. It really is. Everything, you know, in order for everything to go full cycle, you know, you got to have that support system, um, especially if you have a partner and you have three kids. I love that, man. What's, yeah. your, what's, your, what's your wife's name? Uh, it, her name is Alyssa. So shout out to you, babe. Uh, my daughter, Savannah Monet. My other daughter, Gianna Valentina. And uh, Mila Capri, which is our 10-month-old. So I love we that. have a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, if it wasn't for them pushing us, because that's our passion, right? And what's crazy is that your enthusiasm and your energy and your uh, motivation, mm -hmm. that wears off, okay? It really does. But the passion while you're doing something doesn't. Because that right there is your why. That right there is is the passion. Along with the family side, the business side, you know, my core four, which we call it at our office, myself, JP, my brother Jordan, mm. who's our uh, COO of all of our all of our all of our businesses, you know, and and Isaac. I mean, we're 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 pushing it, so I'm shouting them out too. So. I love that, yeah. man. Shout out to the fam. And uh, again, man, I appreciate you coming on. I'll Hell be following yeah. along your journey. Listeners, appreciate thanks for tuning you. in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.